All right. Well, good evening and Merry Christmas. Can I get a Merry Christmas back from you today? Let's go. The Christmas spirit is good in the house tonight. Hey, I'm so glad you're with us. If we haven't had the opportunity to meet yet, my name is Tyler. I get to be the pastor of this church that we call Anastasis. And it means the absolute world to me that you'd show up tonight, that you would make it through what is going to become a winter storm, some elements, some rain. You'd come in the doors of this building that we're turning into a church. Thank you. Thank you for following us. It was supposed to happen tomorrow night, and now it's happening tonight. Can you all make some noise for the team that made this all happen in like a day? Like seriously, um, let me tell you what, at 1220, I was not confident it was going to get pulled off. And here we are. Like, it's amazing. Like it really, really is. It's absolutely incredible. But if it is your first time with us tonight, thank you for taking time. Thank you for being with us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you feel welcome. I hope you feel loved. I hope you know that you matter. I hope you know that you can belong here. And we believe that this is a place that uh, you can grow in your faith and discover just exactly who God is and what he's created you for. Um, I'm excited for tonight. I can't wait to jump in. Technically, we're in like week four of our series, The Gift, but it's Christmas night, right? Like we're, we're just going to go straight for it. Who cares what's on the platform before that? We're going to go straight for it. Um, I'm really, really excited. I told you guys a few weeks ago that I love gifts. Like gifts are like my favorite. Uh, my two love languages are uh, gifts and words of affirmation. So if Hannah like buys me something and tells me I look pretty, like I'm good for like the next several, several months, you know? Um, but the reality is I absolutely love gifts and show of hands, who else likes gifts? Like, I don't know, don't you, come on, you just raise your hands. Everybody likes a gift. There's not a single person here. It's like, you shouldn't have bought me anything, you know? It's like the biggest trap ever in marriage. What do you want for your birthday? Nothing. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> I bet so. We'll make sure we get a gift. Um, but have you ever almost got everything you didn't ask for? Uh, okay, so I asked that question because I was sitting in Starbucks a couple of weeks ago and my phone starts blowing up and I'm getting all these questions from my wife about like which exact like uh, Christmas list I'd put out. And I was like, why are you asking? It's this link. And she goes, I think that your parents are buying from the wrong list. And I said, okay. So she sends me over the list. She goes, is this your list? And I said, no, like I've never put that thing together before in my life. Like I have no idea how they got their hands on that list. In fact, most of that stuff I've just never even wanted. Like, like it has nothing to do with any of it. And she goes, well, I don't know, but I better let them know. Well, as she's saying that to me, my phone rings and it's my dad. And he's like, hey, can you resend your list? And I was like, uh, yeah, sure. And he's like, I don't know what list you sent us, but it's, it's wrong. Well, it turns out I open it up and we start troubleshooting, trying to figure out how on earth did the link I sent him take him to some random list? Well, it didn't take him to some random list. It took him to his own list from last year, okay? And so my dad, and can you give it up for my dad? My mom, they're in the house. Listen, they, they do all of our hospitality every weekend. They do a tremendous job, but literally he's buying all these gifts and they're his gifts. Like, you know, they're for him. And he's like, and he's like I guess I'm gonna have a tremendous Christmas this year, you know? And, and it's one of those things where like, I, you know, it's like funny, right? It's hilarious. It's, there's nothing like embarrassing. It's really, really funny. But it's one of those things that I love about family and I love about Christmas. And I love about the Christmas story, for being honest, because I don't think 
Jesus came in the way that anybody expected him. They didn't expect the gift to come the way that it came, right? They didn't expect it to show up, even though it was prophesied this way. They just didn't expect it. They weren't wanting it this way. And so tonight, we're going to jump in. We're going to dig a little bit deeper into that. In the birth of Jesus, we're going to look at the greatest story ever told. Are you guys excited for tonight? Come on, make some noise if you're excited for tonight. It's going to be a good night. Let's go ahead. Let's pray together and we'll jump right in. Father, I thank you for who you are. God, you're so good. You're so faithful. You're amazing. Lord, I just pray that in these moments that we share, God, that you'd be glorified. Lord, that you'd be honored. And Lord, that everything we do, we just draw attention to you. Father, I pray over the words that I'm about to speak. Father, I pray that they'd be the ones that you want spoken. Lord, omit the words from a vocabulary you don't want spoken tonight. And again, Lord, I just pray that everything we do would bring you honor and glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. So I love this story. Like I said, it's the greatest story ever told. So let's go ahead. Let's jump right in. Luke chapter one, we're going to start 26 through 38 tonight. And it says this, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. He's from the line of King David. And that virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. This is a reasonable response from her. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus and he will be great. And he will be called the son of the most high and the Lord will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom and of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Good question. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy the son of God. What an amazing moment, right? Like what an amazing interaction. You, you hear this story. I think we all have a picture of this taking place, but I don't know that our picture is perfectly right. Let me give you a little backstory on Mary. Mary's probably 14 to 17 years old. So do me a favor, go back in your mind to when you were 16 years old. Exactly how mature were you? How ready for an interaction or a moment like this would you have been? I think for some of us, we look at this story and we always picture Mary as this like 25 to 30 year old woman. She's very mature. She's ready for this moment. And it's the most incredible thing to be blessed with, right? It's the most incredible opportunity, the best thing that could ever happen. But the truth is, for anyone, I think this would be pretty overwhelming. And then when you throw in the fact that she's a teenager, I imagine that this idea would become like incredibly overwhelming. What's happening right now has got to be incredibly overwhelming. When I was 16 years old, there would be no way I'd be ready to be the parent to the son of God. Am I right? Like, I don't think I'm alone in that in this room tonight. There's not a single one of us who would feel that we were ready for that kind of pressure or that opportunity. And you probably wouldn't feel ready. And honestly, you probably really wouldn't be ready. And there'd be a variety of emotions you would feel from fear to excitement, from joy to worry. And when the angel greets 
greets her. He says, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. As I read that this week, it really stuck out to me that, you know, sometimes favor doesn't always feel, feel like favor. Favor doesn't always feel like favor. Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you, is probably like the greatest greeting you could ever possibly get. But when he tells her that because of her favor that with God, that she's gonna conceive and bear the, the, or give birth to God's child, this probably has her feeling pretty nervous, probably pretty afraid, probably doesn't actually feel like what favor would feel like, Right? And maybe you've experienced this. Maybe God's called you to do something. Maybe he's asked you to do something. And in the moment, it feels like such a great honor and you're really excited about it. And then the more you think about it, you realize it's like, it's gonna cost me something. I'm gonna have to give up something. I might have to move. I might have to change like the way I live or what I do. I might have to reorient my life and my structure and my schedule to be able to accomplish the thing that he's asked us to do. And then on the journey you've embarked on, you realize it's actually not all that easy. And all of a sudden, favor doesn't quite feel like Favor, And I'm sure that Mary, a 16-year-old girl potentially, is trying to rapidly process what's taking place. She's like, okay, so there's an angel visiting me. This is kind of crazy. I'm going to be pregnant. Oh, no, I'm engaged, right? Like, what am I going to do about this? And the angel recognizes her fear. It says in verse 36 that the angel says, And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And in this, the sixth month, with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And nothing will be impossible with God, for nothing will be impossible with God. Hey, Mary, I know you're scared. So basically, it's how the angel is addressing you. I know you're scared. This seems crazy, hard, and impossible. But nothing will be impossible with God. And this was a promise that the angel gives Mary that she clings to, but is going to be fulfilled through her, right? That nothing will be impossible for God because it's going to be fulfilled through her to the world. That nothing will be impossible because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Nothing will be impossible for God. And that promise is for you too, no matter where you find yourself today. Your sin, your shame, you might be up against some addictions and some strongholds. The reality is there is nothing that our God can't overcome. There's nothing that the name of Jesus can't cannot overcome for nothing will be impossible with God. I want to let you know for nothing is impossible with God. And so in obedience, Mary responds and says in verse 38, behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And I love what Mary calls herself. She doesn't say like, I'm awesome, I'm amazing, I'm the champ, I'm the goat, I'm the greatest of all time, right? I'm the most talented, I'm the most able, I'm, no. I'm the servant of the Lord. I'm the servant of the Lord. In humility and obedience, she says, let it be done to me according to your word. And with that, Mary does something I think so many of us are afraid to do. And we lay down our plans. We lay down our ideas. She lays down what the next 5, 10, 15 years are going to look like. And she says, I will be the servant of the Lord. I'll do what you've called me to do. It's profound, but this teenage girl responding the way I dream I would respond, right? If I was in her shoes, she's responding the way I hope our church would respond. When we hear the voice of God, when we sense the promptings of God telling us to do something, to go and do something, that we wouldn't question it, that we wouldn't fight it, we wouldn't think about all of the what ifs, but instead we'd walk in obedience, 
We'd walk in obedience and say, God, whatever it is that you want, I want to do. God, whatever it is that you want, I want to do. I want to be your servant. I want to be your hands and feet. I want to do whatever it is you ask me to do. And so all of this takes place for Mary, but there's another person in this story. His name's Joseph. So let's jump on over to Matthew 1, 18 through 19 to see how Joseph is doing in this story. Well, it says that when his mother, speaking of, of Jesus's mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. I wish the Bible would offer more details on this conversation. Like, oh, to be a fly on the wall in that room. You know what I mean? She walks in and she's like, hey, Joe, we got to talk. He's like, yeah, what's up? She's like, I'm pregnant. And he's like, that's not possible. She's like, I know, but it's God's. And he's like, I'm out. <laughs> you know, like, and think about it. If you're, if you're engaged with somebody, they come to you and they're pregnant. They say, it's actually God's baby. You're like, See ya. Like, I don't, and there's too much going on here. There's a lot of energy. I think I'm going to balance. I'm good. I don't want to deal with this. Common wisdom would say run. And so that's what Joseph is thinking, right? I'm a good guy. I'm not going to ruin her life. I'm going to divorce her quietly. But it says in verse 20, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. I love it. Joseph wakes up and he is obedient. And again, there's a lot of testing here. There's a lot of faith walking here for him to be able to just wake up and go, okay, that dream was an angel and that was legitimate. But I love it. He takes it and he goes. He doesn't look back and go, well, what if Mary's lying? What if the conversation we had made me dream that? No, he has this really profound sense that this is the thing God is calling him to do. And this was no easy ask. This isn't like an easy ordeal, but Joseph is obedient and Mary is obedient and they both respond with humility. And Joseph does something that Mary does. He lays down his desires. He lays down his picture of what their life probably would have looked like. He lays down his pride he probably even lays down what others might think of him, right? In this society, it would have been incredibly, not just frowned upon, but just completely shunned and put to the side if you would have been pregnant before you got married. And in our culture, you know, they might've gone to the wedding, they notice a bump and they're like doing math, right? And they're like, hold up, let's see, how long is this really going? And if they're extra judgy, you know, they might just start to just shun them and ignore them even today. But Joseph's like, I'm just gonna lay all that aside. I'm just gonna follow what I've been prompted to do. I'm going to follow what God has asked me to do. And so two for two, both of the people connected to the story to be the earthly parents of the son of God have now chosen obedience. So let's fast forward sometime later. It's just sometime later. It says that in those days, Luke chapter two, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph went up from Galilee, to the, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem 
because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Um, one of my favorite things to do, if you can't tell, is just to picture scripture in today's context. So like none of this should ever be taken seriously. But could you imagine how things would go, husbands in the room, if you didn't book a place to stay for your wife and she had to give birth where the animals were? Like that'd be wild, right? Like that thing would not go well. I heard somebody once say that like the first silent night was the night that Mary realized Joseph didn't book a place and didn't talk to him the rest of the night, right? And it's one of those situations where, where I'm making light of it, but let me paint a real life situation for you. She has her baby amongst the animals. There isn't actually room for them in the regular housing with the rest of the families. She has her baby amongst not ideal conditions. And again, favor might not feel like favor in this moment. I hear it all the time. People say things like, you know, I know this is the will of God because the door just opened. It was really easy. It was really easy. And, or I'll hear people say, I know it wasn't the will of God because it was really hard. It was really hard and doors just kept shutting. And, and there's really dangerous thinking with that. Sometimes that's true. Sometimes it's absolutely true. But other times it's really, really dangerous because sure, open doors can absolutely be the hand and the heart and the working of God. But other times I want to let you know, like the devil can open doors too. And that's why we've got to pray and be alert. And then there's other times that people go, like I said, they're like, man, it's just really hard. It's really difficult. Nothing seemed to line up. So it obviously wasn't the will of God. And I want to let you know that like, that's not always the case either. There've been so many times in my life where the Lord has called me to do something to step out. And guess what? The road was not paved with flowers. The road was difficult. So what we have to do is be faithful and committed in prayer. We have to cling to what the Lord has spoken to us. For Mary and Joseph, they're sitting there, they're walking this journey that is gonna result in Mary delivering the son of God. But the road is not all that easy. And just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not from God. And I want us to take hold of that today. The devil does not want any of us to succeed in this life. And so it's essential, again, that we pray and we grasp a hold of what God has called us to do. And then when we have that, we don't waver from the path that he's given us. We don't jump off of it simply because it doesn't look the way that we thought it would. I didn't notice the part in scripture where the angel communicated every detail that was gonna take place to Mary and to Joseph. Nor did I notice the detail where they asked for all the details before they said, yeah, I'll be your servant. Yeah, I'll do what you've called me to do. The reality is our job is obedience. God's job is outcome. I say it all the time, but along the way, we must remain committed to the cause that he's called us to no matter the cost. So Jesus is born and it says that in that same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night and an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, for everyone, for every person, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. 
And this will be a sign for you that you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And just like that, the Prince of Peace has arrived. The King is here and the angels went away, it says, from them into, he- into heaven. And the, and the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby be lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered uh, or wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But listen to this. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. This has to be massive confirmation for Mary. This has to be massive confirmation for her. She's taken this step of faith. She's taken this step of obedience and look what's happening right before her eyes. It says that then the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. So as it had been told to them. We've talked a lot about the obedience of Mary and Joseph. But let's turn our attention now to Jesus, our King, our Savior, as he enters the world. It's an amazing picture. It's an absolutely brilliant picture. But if you remember what we talked about the last few weeks regarding the gifts that the wise men brought to Jesus, where do they show up when they come to bring these gifts first? Well, first they show up at Herod's palace, right? Because they see the word King, they think he must be born in a palace. Let's go get him. You know, like, let's let's go show them there. Like, let's go see them there. Let's go give them these gifts in the palace. And that's where they think he's going to be born. That's at least where they perceive the king to be born. And so would we, right? The future king, the coming Messiah is going to be born in a palace. He's going to be wrapped in silk. He's going to have a ring on his finger. We think that he'll never, ever, ever have to go through the things that we had to go through. His life will probably be pretty easy. And from the beginning, everyone's going to know who he is. And without being told, they're going to know why he's here. They're going to be experiencing who he is just by being told. They're not going to have to actually experience him face to face to know his identity. But the beauty of the name Emmanuel isn't God over us. It's God with us. God with us. Jesus came to be with us. And it's amazing. So rather than being born in a palace where there would be perfect conditions and probably like a massive parade or party that would just identify and celebrate his arrival. He's born in less than ideal conditions. And less than ideal is like a really nice way to say it, right? He's born in a way that none of us would want to be born or have to give birth to a child. He's born in a city that's completely overwhelmed right now completely overpopulated. The census is going on and everyone is in town and there are farm animals present. Then Mary wraps him in these cloths and she has and she places him in the manger and the manger is just a really nice way to say animal feeding station, right? She takes the baby Jesus and she lays him there. And so the truth is he wasn't born into privilege. Although he's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, he wasn't born like a King would be born. But rather, many believe he was born into poverty. The family he was born into wouldn't have carried any prestigious social place or social standing, but rather, later in Jesus' life, they just view him as like the carpenter's son in his hometown. They're like, that guy, the miracle guy? No, that's just the carpenter's son. Like, 
he's not anything special. His family's not anything amazing. And honestly, that same socioeconomic material standing would follow him all the days of his life. He never had much in the way of earthly possessions. At one point in his ministry, Jesus remarks that he has no place to lay his head. Like he has no home to go home to at night. And he's made a habit in his ministry out of using borrowed items. He preaches from borrowed boats. He multiplies borrowed food. He rode in down the streets on a borrowed colt or a borrowed donkey. And he was buried in a borrowed tomb. And on the night of his birth, he's not celebrated by kings or rabbis or these other political leaders, instead by shepherds. And as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, he shows up in like the most humble of circumstances. And while this setting may not seem perfect to us, it's absolutely perfect for what he does with his life. Um, If you simply like go on the internet and you search for synonyms, like in the thesaurus, for the word humility, one of the synonyms is obedience. And if you look at Jesus's life, his life just absolutely exemplifies humility and obedience, humility and obedience. And we've spent a lot of time remarking on the obedience of Mary and of Joseph, but Jesus's entry into the world and his life in it is just marked by this. And so first, Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So if there's anybody who wanted to brag a little bit or be a little bit proud, like he's the one who could do it, right? He's like, you need somebody to water walk? Check. You need somebody to raise the dead? Check. You need some blind eyes open? Got it. You need some more food? Check it out. Water into wine? I can do that too. Like he's like, I can do literally anything. There's nothing I can't do. But Jesus says of himself in Mark 10, 45, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. There's nothing he couldn't do, yet his life embodies humility, his life, and it begins with his birth. And so many of us walk around this earth trying to prove ourselves and trying to prove ourselves over and over and over again. So my question for you as we close tonight is, what does the birth of Jesus do for you? What does it do for you? And as a, fo- a follow-up to that, as his followers, as the body of Christ here on earth, what if we fully embodied his humility? What would it mean for the world around us? What if the Christians embodied the heart and humility of Jesus? What if our focus wasn't on being noticed or being affirmed or being successful or rising up the ladder or gaining more or becoming more important or building whatever version of success we deem successful, but rather on being the most humble and therefore the most obedient people on the planet. You think there might be some redemption and some hope in this world if we walked around like that, if we lived like that on purpose, saying, God, I wanna follow you and serve you. I will be your servant. Whatever it is that you call me to do. John said this of Jesus in John 1, 4, and 5. He said, in him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines into the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Let me tell you something. The darkness just hasn't overcome it. It can't overcome it. It never will overcome the light. The darker the dark, the brighter the light shines. And Jesus says this of his followers, and I believe he says this of us today, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do the people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house in the same way. 
Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You are the light of the world, Jesus says. The way you live will shine the light of Jesus to everyone around you. But when you do those good works, you're not doing them with the motivation of getting noticed. We're not doing them with the motivation to build more success. We're doing them so that our Father in heaven would be glorified. We're doing so with a humble heart, with humility, with obedience. Saying, Jesus, whatever it is you call me to, I will go. Whatever it is you ask me to do, I will do. No matter the cost, no matter the road getting tough, no matter what it looks like, Jesus came in the form of a baby, born of a virgin, wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger full of humility and obedience so that he could save humanity from their sins. And I believe that he's called you to be a part of that mission by being the light of the world. So tonight, if the story does anything for you, then choose humility. Then choose humility. If the story of the Son of God coming in the way that he came does anything for you at all, and choose humility. When the opportunity comes to either consume or to give, let's be humility. Let's be people that are humble and we give generously. When we have the opportunity to be bitter or to forgive, let's pursue forgiveness. When the opportunity comes where we can like push somebody down or we can encourage them, man, let's be humble. Let's show humility. Let's walk in obedience and let's encourage them. Let's build them up. Let's be the people of God, the hands and feet of Jesus, humble and obedient to shine the light of Jesus to a broken world. Because I believe there's nothing that our God can't do. Jesus came so that you could have life. So we need to distribute that life to everyone else around us. And so this Christmas, my prayer is that we would be a people who pursue humility who embody obedience and shine the light of Jesus to everyone around us. Let's go ahead, let's pray together. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here tonight and you would say, yeah, I wanna do that. I wanna live a life marked by humility and obedience. You just go ahead and slip up your hand. I wanna pray for you tonight. Yeah, hands all over the room. God, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for a group of people who are saying that I wanna walk in humility. I wanna follow after you. Lord, I pray that servant would be the only thing we'd pursue. Lord, we'd pursue being your servant, God. We'd remember that we are your children and you've given us free reign and free standing with you, but God, that our hearts would desire so much just to serve you and to follow you, God, to know you so dearly and so deeply. Lord, thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, coming the way that he did to set the example for us of how we should live. God, thank you for being approachable. God, I thank you that we can always follow you. We can always know you. We can always talk to you. Lord, I pray that not a moment would go by where we would forget that you're near, that you're close, that you're with us. And with every head bowed and every eye still closed, if you're here tonight and you would say, I wanna know Jesus as my Lord and Savior that I wanna give my life to Jesus. That maybe you've never made this decision before, but maybe it was a long, long time ago and you kind of walked off the path of following Jesus and you'd say, I wanna come back. I wanna come home. I want 
to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I wanna receive forgiveness for my sins. If that's you tonight, you can do so by simply making a decision in your heart and confessing with your mouth. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God has raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. And tonight you can make that decision simply by slipping up your hand and meeting me eye to eye. So if you're here tonight, you say, yeah, I need to give my life to Jesus. I wanna jump on the road of following him. On the count of three, just slip up your hand and meet me eye to eye. One, two, three, all across the room. I've got you over here. I see you both together. Anybody else in the room who wanna give their life to Jesus tonight? Come on, slip up your hand, meet me eye to eye, and you can make that decision. Let's go ahead, let's pray together. We've got some folks making a decision to follow Jesus tonight. And I believe it's the greatest decision that we could ever make. And so no one prays this prayer alone, but we all pray this prayer together. Repeat this after me. Heavenly Father, I need you. I am a sinner. I need a savior. Lord, I ask for your forgiveness. I need your grace. Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. You died for me so that I could live for you. Send your Holy Spirit to live inside me, to change me, to make me brand new. Jesus, I will follow you, serve you, and serve others. Thank you for forgiveness, and thank you for new life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Come on, let's make some noise for that tonight. Amazing.